On today's episode, we talked about what hospice does, what you can kind of do to get ready when you're coming down to that wire. It's a lot of Ben. And a little bit of Nick. Ben got confused on a lot of the Q&As today. I really <laughs> did get a lot of confusion on them. I thought I was answering them and I realized I wasn't, so. He answered it, but not the way that the person wanted it answered. Enjoy the episode. I hope you like it. Roll the tape. Let's talk about death, baby. Let's talk about grief and mourning. Hey, Nick, let's talk about death. Congratulations, you made it to another episode. Today we're going to talk about hospice. So, Nick, I'm going to get right in here because I do do a lot of uh, work hand-in-hand with hospice workers. Do you? If anybody quite understands what a funeral director uh, deals with with families when they become intertwined, you do. And you do an amazing and impressive job. And for the short, sometimes short, time that you're with these families, you mean the world to them. And I don't know how many times in the arrangement room uh, there's a compliment thrown on one or many of you from uh, hospice care. You you do an amazing job, and all of us funeral directors, I would, I would say, would tip our hats to you for all that you do. Also, you help a family get to the next step, which is eventually dealing with us numbskulls, funeral directors, and funeral homes. And I know that can be very challenging. I know um, a lot of times you probably are going into families where they know where they're going. They've been going to this funeral home for years and generations and all that. And then other times I know they have no clue. Maybe they just moved to this town or maybe the funeral home that they've been going to changed or doesn't exist anymore. So I would like to thank all hospice workers. You are incredible and you do an amazing job. Now, I want to talk about what you guys can do because I had the opportunity to speak with uh, a hospice team and we kind of did some back and forth and it was really neat to hear because I think we don't do enough of that. I think we just assume we know what each other do and we don't, we don't, we don't know that at all. And so I think there's some little, little uh, tidbits that we can both do on both sides to get the family um, to, towards the end stage and then eventually have um, some of the information already taken care of, which I find with families that are dealing with grief, anything and anything they can get done before is very, very helpful. Uh, I'm not saying a speedy thing is a good idea, but at the same time, if we can uh, help them kind of get some information through and uh, get a couple of their uh, choices decided before, especially when the person is still living in in hospice care where they can be a part of it, is very, very, very beneficial. I, I, I've yet again been with a lot of families that say, I'm so glad dad went in and talked to you and your dad, or dad had the opportunity to sit, you guys came to the house. That's another thing too, is funeral directors. And we kind of alluded to this with the ch- children too. If you're a funeral director and you know that there's a hospice family that wants to meet you, but obviously that patient can't leave bedside, give them the opportunity of going to their house and going through things with them. I find that experience has been very helpful to my father and his father and his father, as well as to me too. And I think the families really take a lot out of that, that you're willing to come to their house, sit with them. You kind of, and, and honestly, it's beneficial to you because that's not the first time meeting them. Which well, is, I think, I think we touched on this the last, one of the last episodes. Um, it's beneficial for funeral directors, I believe, 
um, and through the research that I've read, um, it's beneficial for the families to have a personal experience with the funeral director that they're going to be working with because then they know you. They, they, they're not alone because that's a big thing. A lot of these families, they just feel alone, isolated. And one of the things that I think is beautiful about the funeral industry, if the profession, funeral profession, sorry, it's okay. I think it's a good idea for funeral professionals to go out to the people's houses if they can help the families. It's super beneficial. It is. And you get to know the family and you get to know the dynamic. And that's always nice to know in the arrangement because families, just like everything else, are completely different. And some families, it's nice, to, it's nice for them, not only just the person who is going to be passing on, dying, but the actual family to know, okay, when we go into that arrangement, this is where we're going to meet. Or his son. And said they got to deal with me. Sometime. I read something interesting the other day that I wanted to ask you about. Oh, so I read the other day that it actually could be beneficial for the family to argue during. The, hold on. Hold on. Let me let me finish my thought. It's beneficial for the family to argue in the, the pre pre if you know, uh, phys- the uh, arrangement arrangement because. A, it sets the family dynamic back in place. So then you figure out who's the alpha, all that all that stuff, right, and psychologically. But more importantly, it's a great way for them to get the anchor out initially. I 100% agree. Sometimes you don't have that opportunity, uh, especially with today, nobody lives by each other anymore. Mm-hmm. So you might have one son in Alabama, one son in Texas, one son and one daughter in Florida. So sometimes you don't have that. Sometimes you only have one or two. That's and it's usually the kids that live around here are usually in charge in that case. Usually, obviously, it's the wife or husband, but sometimes they have to still have the kids bring them because they can't sometimes move anymore. Sometimes it's grandkids. Sometimes it's grandkids. Sometimes it's cousins. Some, every once in a while, it's somebody that's just a friend because ne- they don't have any family left. Mm-hmm. So it is nice. I will say this. How nice is I f- it? I find that the arrangement conference is an interesting place to be. Because there's nobody around. So that's when you really see the family dynamics. You're absolutely right. Yes, you see the older brother who picks on the younger brother. You see the older sister that's in charge of all finances. You see uh, the one that always just has some smart butt comment to make. But see, there's always that one, too, that's the comedian. And his job or her job is to make everybody laugh once or twice. And in that case, when they laugh, and Dad and I always say this, if we can laugh together and cry together, if you can get that family in the arrangement room to chuckle, chortle, and not, not fake, like, oh, I didn't like that. That was uncomfortable. <laughs> but the actual, like... Like the things I do when you're talking. They always say this, and excuse my French, but Dad was always a pain in the ass. And then mm-hmm. everybody laughs, and everybody kind of goes on. And then after that, it's like the room feels 10, 10 pounds lighter. Well, it's a normalizing experience to get the family to go back into its original structure. Very much so. And it really is it nice. It wants to stay in that structure. So when you lose someone, the family is lost because there's something missing. If dad was the comedian, now you have a room full of sad saps. I mean, look at... And I hate saying I that, but... deal with a, you. The sad right, sap it's, over it's, there. it's serious. It's, a, it's, oh, it's, yeah. it's bronze and everything. You know, they say, what, you can cut it with a knife? You know, that feeling in the oh, air. You, you can, can cut, cut it, it with a knife, that, that seriousness. 
I think that's where the family has to restructure. Sometimes some of these siblings haven't sat in a room in 10 years. Or maybe they Which never sat. Which is also another dynamic thing that they need to address before the funeral. Hospice is nice because you do get the idea sometimes to meet these family members. Sometimes, especially the executor or the the uh, uh, power of attorney. Now, I want to talk about that because Wait that is something. Hold on a second. How many people in hospice do pre-needs? The problem with, the pre-needs are an amazing thing. Yeah, I'm, but the I'm problem. Just, I'm with you, what's the your, problem what's with when it comes to hospice and pre-needs is sometimes it's a little too late. For everyone out there who doesn't know what a pre-need is, it's, it's a way for you to go into the funeral home and pick out everything. Now, whether that means you actually monetarily do it or you just have Ben and Dave, here is, da- uh, Dave is my dad, uh, here is an idea we had, can we do this? Or when a uh, pastor or father comes in, these are the songs I want. Or just so you can either just kind of just throw a lot out there, like this is what I want, and so that way the kids you don't have to like I want a wood casket. You don't have to say exactly what casket you want or pay for it, but you can give an idea. So when the kids come in, I could say, "Here's Dad's folder." Does that necessarily mean that the kids have to follow that? No, whoever's in charge of paying is in charge of that. Meaning that the person that's paying the bill Correct. could literally say, "Although Dad really wanted." A, B, and C, I'm not doing any of them. Correct. That usually causes problems, and nobody usually does that because obviously at that point they've been told. Mm -hmm. But there has been situations, for instance, and we're going to talk about this because I was just getting on to this with the will. You can put in your will in the state of Michigan that you want to be cremated. But once you pass on in the state of Michigan, you become part of the estate. So property. So sadly enough, think of it this way. If your wife is not alive or your husband's not alive and you have four children, all four of those children have claims to that property. So So claims to you. Correct. In the state of Michigan, you need a majority. So three of those kids have to sign off on that. What if it was two kids? So two kids means it's not happening because the problem that you're going to have is the other two kids can say, I'm in mental distress because I never gave you the right to Wait a minute, no, no, my no. father. No, I'm saying if you just had two kids. Then you need all two because you need more than 50. So you need majority. So if you have two, you get two. If you have three, I need two of them. If you have four, I need three of okay, them. Okay, you just need m- more than 50%. Correct, correct. Okay. But every state is different. Everybody needs to know that. We can go through a little bit more on that, like the actual details of contracts and stuff at a different episode. But right now, let's talk about the hospice experience a little bit. I had the opportunity to be in a couple panels now with different hospices. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. Don't take this wrong. Hospitals, you do a great job. In nursing homes, you do a great job. But it's not home. It's your house. It's your home. You're the most comfortable in it. So if you're giving your family member the opportunity to stay home and get to experience their last couple days, months, possibly years, because that's another thing. And I got to give, yet again, going back to giving hospice nurses so much credit, they they sometimes give you dates, but they don't know. They do a great job of giving you an idea, but they could say 10 days and it could be two months. Uh, we uh, uh, have had families that they, they, they had to rush in because they were really afraid, it, you know, Dad was going to die in the next month, and they've lasted six months, a year. Isn't that, a, isn't that an interesting? That's an interesting topic. What do they hold on for? Not only that, Nick, but I think the idea is, how do you, as a family, we're told a week, and you're now at six months. I know the demand. I see the families when I go into their houses, and they look like they haven't slept for days. They look like they have basically been on twelve-hour shifts. 
with their with their father, with their mother, with their brother, whatever whatever whoever family member it is, and they just look exhausted. Yep. And uh, the hospice nurses do a great job. And sometimes you have hospice nurses stay the whole day. Sometimes you have them stay just hours. Sometimes they come in daily, every other day, medication prep. But the family members are still the ones that are staying up with. Well, I think that's the beautiful, beautiful part about hospice. It not only brings them back to their house, but it brings the family back involved, which is evolutionary. If we, we think back in, in times and history and stuff, that's just how it was always done. I think so the, the hospice opposite. is a great way for us to get back to normalcy, right? To Norm- get back malicy? to, well, bringing back Normalcy? People, normalcy. I think you're pronouncing it weird. Well, sure. And you sound you sound kind of weird there. Normalcy? Normalcy. Normalcy? <laughs> it's not normalcy. Normalcy. Okay, normalcy. So potato, Anyways, potato. Listen, potato, potato, washing, washing. It's the same thing. Ketchup, catsup. Okay. Normalcy. <laughs> Meaning that through time, we have always been community people, and I think Hospice is a good way, a good start. What about historically? Because that's actually what it is. We're going back to our roots of letting the person die at their house. But if you're going back to your roots, then what does that become? You got to do the wake. We got to bring in the ice. You put the ice in the middle of the still the funeral directors room. involved. Still people that come yeah, in funeral and prepare. Directors, and d- before funeral homes, there was funeral and, directors. Well, and, and realized even during those times, funeral homes existed. They were just existent for people that didn't have a home to go Correct. to. Correct. They would bring. We have. We still have them. We still have the old tables you'd bring to somebody's house. But and do it, the it all there. changed through the medicalization of of embalming. Because the whole idea is the reason why there's a special place to take the, the dead is is to keep people safe. Right. Right. Well, I mean, that's I mean, really old, what it is. It's a medicalization. You would have the, the matriarch or the patriarch make food for everybody. But, but anyways, going back to hospice, I think it's just the idea of I can die in my own home. I can have the dignity to be in my own slippers, my own bathrobe if I want to be. I can have the 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 dog. Let's be honest. Pets are where where it comes in too. Oh, so if he can, if he, if I can be in my own house, and have Fanny Banny, Lemon Spanny, mm-hmm. right there. Let's put a pin in that one because I would love to have an episode pets, of pets losing with death. pets. Pets with death. Yeah, that's a big pets thing with death. now. It's a big deal now. Uh, feel yep. free to leave us a comment if you want pets for death. Vote and on. We'll it. talk about that. We get enough likes. We'll All right, but that. hospice, going back to hospice, hospice is this amazing, amazing thing that does give people the historical thing to go back to their homes. They're getting taken care of medically yeah. while their family while the family is a, able to help. And they have the family help, too, because they have the ha- fam- family, the family, the family administer things for them, clean. Is it family eating ham? Hamily? Hamleys. Nick, in the experience or education that you've had with the psychology field on this, how do you think the terminating ill person feels when it's getting down to that wire? It's a great question. I think everybody's different. Um, I think there's a lot of, when it comes to dying. Now, you know, it's interesting, fascinating tip, and I'm going to put this out there. Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief are actually originally intended. For the sta- five stages of dying. For the five stages of dying. They were then thought, oh, it's the same thing of grieving too, right? Okay, that's good thing we got that, that out. It goes full circle, but yes, we got that out. We got that out. Just make sure the tip tip of the hat to Elizabeth Cooper Ross, who is a Swiss native. Yeah, she's and Nick and I come from Swiss mother mother home. So here's here's the tough part, right? I want to take you guys on a voyage here. 
if you can close your eyes and just think this one through. So you're in the hospital. You have some sort of illness going on. You know, you're hopefully you're 86, 87. You know, you've had a, a good, fulfilling life, and you you've been just thrown the, the hand of, hey, you know what? You got stage four cancer. You have two weeks to live. Okay, what what do you do with that? For some of us, I would say most of us, the first thing I would say is I want to go home. If I'm going to die, I want to be at home. I want to see my family, um, especially through this COVID thing. I hope they're not wearing masks. I get to, you know, feel their presence, all that stuff, and just be a part of it, right? Feel like I'm alive as much as I possibly can. Hopefully, I'm not dealing with a lot of pain, but if even if I am, hopefully hospice will take care of that. All you want at that end is is to be around people that you love. And comfortable. doesn't have to be family. It could be pets. I know a lot of people, that is their family, is all pets. Um, but just to be comfortable, yeah, be as more as comfortable as you possibly can be in your time of um, coming to grips with the idea that you're going to die, and you're gonna now you have a date, right? Most people don't have a date and when they're gonna pass away. Now you have an idea that okay, I have two weeks. And um, Nick, I'm gonna stop you. Just you can go, you can clarify this, but it's an interesting thought because we all know subconsciously we're gonna die, but the idea of knowing that there is. To know a date, window. though, to know a date, you know, it's a really good question. I've been asked a lot of, uh, you know, just by friends or would you want to know the death? Would date? you want to know how you were going to die and when you were going to die? And my answer to that question is depends on the day. <laughs> but but more often or not, I, I mean, I think my answer would be no, because if you knew you were going to die, you're going to live. You know, uh, people would say. I wish I did know when I was going to die because I would make sure I, I don't have regrets, right? But I think the p- most beautiful thing about being a human in general is by through making mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. You are human. Um, hopefully, you don't have a lot of dying regrets. But I think that I would just want to live knowing that I found love, knowing that I have a family, knowing that Whatever my meaning to life, which for me it is family, it's always been family. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's someone else's meaning. That's your meaning. That's right. your Nick clarifying. Nick Paul's meaning is family. Um, to be able to support them, to be around them, have my own wife, have my own children, but also take care of my family, right? My family and friends, and that involves my friends. My close friends are my family. How do you have somebody else's wife, though? How do I have you said I have my own wife. I have my own wife. No, <laughs> meaning I. Okay, some people for family it doesn't mean getting married. No, no, no. I understand. Just how you said it was very. <sighs> I fell asleep. Were you talking? No, I'm sorry. Um, but anyways, going back to what I'm saying, I think the the bigger thing with these people is is that okay now they know they're going to hospice. They know they're going to die. Right. I think for most of us, we want to be comfortable. Can I say something on this coming home? T- um, when you know you have a death date, that's where I do find a lot of families say, this was the only time dad or mom ever mentioned what their wishes were. Oh, yeah. And see, that's I think that c- can be the issue is, why aren't we talking about this earlier? Why aren't Bec- we talking about this when... I think there's... A, there, it's prudent. To me, psychologically, I think there's a superstition to a lot of stuff. So I think a lot of people feel if I go see the funeral director and I set up things, am I already saying that I'm going to die? Nick, I can I can promise you you're going to die someday. Absolutely, Ben. But me and you have a different perspective than most people. No, I understand. So I, I do understand. When, when I do people, get that. It's people, admitting that you are going to die. 
Not only that, but I think a lot. Let's be honest. Do you get twenty-three-year-olds coming in here for pre-needs? No, I think why it, not? I don't think there's any. Well, I don't think any of them have been. Most twenty-three-year-olds that pass are more. So who's have, coming in for pre-needs? We're talking about uh, seventy, eighty-year-olds or so somebody who's got terminal fifty-year-olds, oh, and if they have terminal cancer, okay. so they get told they got six months to live, a year to live. So what I'm saying to you is, if I don't want my kids to deal with this. If pre-needs so are so important, like wills, okay. So think about it. I know some thirty-year-olds that have done their will. I do think it's like if they walk in the funeral home, you are you are stating that you are going to die soon. So here's another thing. I was just thinking about this, and it's it's, it's your a mortality really good, is up. It's a really good um, uh, comparison. Every time I see my insurance agent, he is trying to. I hate saying this, sell me on, but but he is selling you in a good stuff. way on life insurance. Did you get fungus insurance? I I don't have life insurance yet, but my wife does. I I finally I, I did it right. I went through with it, but I think life insurance is a, is a great example of. You go to a 20-year-old and say, you need to get a life insurance policy, right? Dumb. And if you do it at 20 years old, it's super cheap, right? It's the same thing if a 20-year-old came in right now and did a pre-need. It's going to be way cheaper than when they're 80, 90 years old, correct? Ab- absolutely. But I'm going to throw a little caveat at you. At school, one of our last projects was to write your own obituary. Mm-hmm. I thought that was so interesting how that felt. Because even for me, it was eye-opening. Like, wow, you know, that's that's your last. So maybe that's an interesting. Anybody out there who wants to try this, we would love to know how you feel about this. Try to actually write your own obituary at this point in your life. Or or what would you want at your funeral? Maybe, maybe do the manifesting and write an obituary what you would like it to be like. At That's the end what, of your time. Well, I'm just saying that, like, maybe you don't go and see a funeral director, but at least you have somewhere written what you think what you, you might do. want. do. Or give your local funeral director a call, even if you're 23 years old. Oh, stop in. And I want to talk about that, too, real quick, because I, I think that's important with hospice. Funeral homes, a lot of them have little little things you could take home that just kind of puts everything in perspective. What you did, when you did it, when you got married, what are these important numbers? Where is your or veterans, veterans out there? If you do not know where your DD-214 is, make sure you know where it is <laughs> because that is always the thing that the, that the kids just cannot find, which the DD-214, if anybody's out there knowing, is a veteran thing that is an honorable or dishonorable uh, discharge papers. And that we need that to get your flag and to get any military um, markers. Mar- well, no, yeah, markers, but that's that's through the VA. But uh, uh, if you want to have a uh, presidential certificate or anything that's important for veterans, you need to have that DD-214. But I mean, even if you're not a veteran, even if you're not a veteran, you should you should sometime tell your kids or someone close to you where your important documents are. Who your father's name was, who your mother's name was, what's your ancestry? Yeah, get your stuff in order, right? But again, you should I, do it earlier. But so, so you you questioned me the thought of I what think it, you should do it earlier. In my what I would think, if I was told I was going to die in two weeks. None of that is important at that point. No, because it's already going to happen, right? It's already set in so motion. So the only thing that's important at that point for me would be family. And that's interesting because we do hear a lot that, like, Dad stayed for two more weeks because he wanted to wait for his son to get home Jimmy. from Arkansas. And it's true. And I think there is a will or wait. A lot of people, especially on hospice, will wait until after Christmas mm-hmm. and after the New Year's because they know that's their last chance to see their family. 
Yeah. And I'm not saying you have to be Christian. If any, if you're another um, faith and you have another special any holiday, holiday or the idea that an anniversary or, or anything, a yeah. lot of people will wait because they know if I could just make it seven more days, I'll be my able kid's going to graduate to anything that. like that. And that's yeah. and, and that's impressive to know that going back to that old s- silly saying: if there's a will, there's a way. Sometimes it Why does kind of seem. Because I think that's 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 tremendous. So the idea that a human being—wait, wait—if you say that's tremendous, why would it be silly? Okay, we're, you're you're throwing terms on me. Okay, it's fantastic. There we go. That a human being has surprising, the, surprising. <laughs> that a human silly. being has the will to stay. What well, it's survival of the fittest to man. stay that's here. In our, that's in our DNA, man. So, and like, you know, the, you hear Boy. a lot of families like, dad hasn't ate in two weeks, or dad hasn't talked in two weeks, or dad hasn't opened his eyes in two weeks. And he's still there, or she's still there. And it's impressive to know how far do you, how much do you think they can comprehend with all that pain, with the idea of, and what are they seeing? Because we, we're going to talk about that in another episode too, is the uh, whole um, seeing the afterlife and, and having that uh, death, uh, death, life crisis afterlife crisis but like what are they seeing what are they uh, i just i just heard from a family member uh, a couple years ago that they were talking to their their deceased wife and son that died years ago one psychological point i want to leave with you guys with is hopefully it's not at this point but if your parent your grandparent your friend your family member anybody is on hospice. Hopefully it's not at this point. But make sure you go out and see them. Yes. Make sure that yes. you 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 try desperately to get home if you're you're away from home because I can't tell you how many people regret not being able to see um their parent one last time and say goodbye or their 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 family member one more time. And with hospice, you are given a second chance. You are told this person has days. So prioritize, if you can, to get out and see these people. Because not only is it going to mean a world to you, it's going to mean a world to them. And you might be thinking, it's going to be scary. I don't want to see grandpa, dad, grandma like that. Your imagination of what you didn't say or what you didn't do is going to be worse than the actual experience of going to see your loved one. Well, and I think the imagination of what grandma might or grandpa might look like is going to be way worse in your head than what you actually see when you get there. It is. It is. And uh, Nick and I had the experience of literally seeing our grandfather um, take his last breaths. And he was a very powerful, emotional man. Um, and it was just very, uh, it made me a better funeral director to see that experience because I can actually say to families now, I don't know how you feel because that's, that's the wrong termination or ter- terminology, but I can say I have done that. I have experienced somebody take his last breath. I've seen somebody wait more days than he should have. So he could say, or so he, all of his family could be around him when he passed. It's so important to have those experiences. It's so important to, to hang not, on to them and then share well, them. And not to, to, shy away from letting kids have that experience right you know absolutely that was a previous episode so make sure you go back to that all right we got some q and a's Q&A, Q&A, 
Does grieving someone count when they're in hospice? I just called my grandmother. It took everything in me to. She really couldn't talk, but she did for me. I could hear the death as she spoke. I don't know if I can call again. Maybe I'm selfish. I will try again, but holy poop. Nick, there's something called living grieving, where families have the opportunity, whether it's a good thing, bad thing, indifferent, to experience the already grieving process before the person has passed on. Here's the here is the issue. Here's the ultimate issue. Families ask dad a lot, and it's a very true because there's no right answer. There is no there is no you're not doing anything wrong or right. It's just how you need your family deals with the situation. Is the person living or is the person existing? And that's a very tough thing because what this person is saying is her grandmother's not there anymore. And she knows that it's very tough for her to experience and talk with her grand her grandmother that she remembers that that's there and all that is not there, right? So I think what she's trying to say is I don't feel comfortable with her being in this position because that's not my grandma anymore. Right. And we hear that a lot. We hear that a lot that this is not Rick anymore. This is people who get in like these horrible accidents, right? Who get into vegetative states. You'll hear that a lot in the grieving process while the person's still living. I just don't feel comfortable because this is not how this person would want right. to live. So then it gets into this tricky situation of, do you have the right to unplug this person? Do you have the right to let this person go? Me and you have an interesting scenario. I'm not saying that I wouldn't even know how to... I, I can tell you right now I'd be a hot mess if I had to make this decision for any of my family members. But I will say it is tough when you know somebody's existing and not living. Right. They can't go on their, their tractor anymore. They can't go out to their balcony and see their backyard, their their paradise. Or they right. can't go up north and hunt or fish or whatever they're doing. So I think that's what this granddaughter, grandson is saying is I'm selfish because I. that's not the grandma I know. The grandma I know was a happy person, hugged me, we we played, we did all this, and now that is not the person that's the shell. That's I would challenge this person one thing is is go see them in person. It that, might be a whole different experience um, than trying to call them on the phone. Um, just just try it. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be better or worse, but I'm saying it might be different. And I'm guaranteeing it will be because it's just like a phone conversation or an email. But she's obviously at phone that. texting. Some people just can't. They don't. They just don't do well. Doesn't work well. And you never get co- the right communication. You can't see the person's eyes. Maybe you see her and you're like, okay, this is gonna be my last time. I want to remember her. I remember her. Or maybe, yeah. Or maybe you just don't, and that's that's okay too. And that's that's. I just hard. would challenge you if you you got the time. We, we shoot out there. You hear that a lot, I'm sure, and I hear that a lot. Is I want to remember mom, dad, grandma, brother, sister, the way that that i don't want to but i also hear a lot that i wish i would have had more time that all right we got to move on sorry a lot of a lot of time there can right, you read this it, or do you want me to read this one <laughs> is it normal for dead people to smile my best friend died in a tragic boat accident he was young and happy everybody says it's tragedy i've never met someone who loved life as much and yet didn't fear death maybe because he worked with old people for a while the weird thing is that he talked a lot about his eventual death. He told me that he believed that he had seen everything life had to offer and it wouldn't be terrible for him to die. He was very resigned to it. He was swimming 
in open waters and a boat approached him. I guess neither him nor the driver saw each other before it was too late. I like to imagine that for a moment he panicked and then he accepted what was going to happen to him. He was unconscious straight away and died in the ambulance. Today I learned that his his dead body is still smiling. Can somebody please tell me if this is a normal reaction? Maybe the muscles relax, question mark, or... If it is support, or if it supports my hope that he accepted his fate straight away, I know it sounds strange, but he was a very intuitive person and not afraid of death. The question is, can someone die with a smile on their face and stay that way? Is what the question is. I, well, with rigor mortis, it would stay for a little bit, but eventually it would relax because rigor mortis goes there we out. Go. I think that's what what they were asking. So but either way, rigor mortis sets in usually between six to. Six I don't to think there's anything then. wrong with with remembering him. Happened. And maybe that was the that was the. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Whether Nick or not Nick it was a daredevil, not, so he yeah. was out on his. He he was uh, uh, doing a evil can evil move, and he went out doing what he loved. So he died mm-hmm. with a smile on his face. Is that? Is it a? Uh, what am I thinking of? Is it, are you saying like a like he actually like because he didn't see him. So whoever told them that he died with a smile on his face could have been doing it as. A, I'm not sure what question you are <laughs> answering. You are so I confused. Learned, I, the learned, question, I learned that his dead body is still smiling. I learned. He didn't see it. Right. So he's asked the, the he, he's she asking, or she is. He's asking scientifically, can you die with a smile on your face? Yes. But you can and also, can, it can you keep there? it? I don't think you can keep it unless it's being. But I'm saying psychologically, whether it did or not, I'm glad you remember him that way because I think that's the most important thing out Absolutely. of this. Absolutely. Last question here. Lost my dad to cancer two days ago, three weeks after he was diagnosed, three days after going on to hospice. I now have to sell his unfinished projects, and it's killing me. I'm keeping a 62 Falcon. Awesome. It is that awesome. is pretty much done. We have a 65 Thunderbird, so good for you guys. T-bird. My brother is keeping a 71 F100 High Boy. We don't have the room for anything else, and I live 15 hundred miles away so just got to get stuff gone so i'm going to go a different route because I, I feel like this person really wants to know about the guilt of getting rid of his family stuff oh because he was never told what to do with it yes <laughs> i think that's what what i'm implying from this whole thing <laughs> thank you nick for bringing us back to earth you're very welcome so guilt i think is a big thing when it comes to grief and loss especially you know with this person living you know, so far away, obviously they don't have the room to bring everything of dad's and go through it and, you know, uh, take the sentimental value of stuff. And I think that at the end of the day, I think the most important thing I would tell this person is what is the sentimental value to you? You know, it might have had different sentimental value to the other person and not saying that their opinion doesn't matter, but they're gone. Um, as much as we'd love to keep everything that mom and dad thought were important, um, I think the most important part of this whole thing is is what's important to you and your siblings. You know, what do you what do you value from that relationship? If it was taking long drives in the '62 Falcon, which I can remember taking long drives with my dad in the the '65 Thunderbird, obviously, like yeah, I'm not going to get rid of that. Like that means a lot, means the world to me. However, my you know my dad's Dracula collection, I might be like, eh, sell it. You know, because ultimately, at the end of the day, you have to live on. They don't have to live on. You have to live on. So whatever makes life a little bit easier for you to live on, keep. 
if stuff is just cluttering and getting in the way and stuff, get rid of it. Um, not saying that that's going to be an easy process, but I think that's what you're asking. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's your decision. And I think at ultimate, at the end of the day, if your father was alive, he would look at you and go, yeah, if it means nothing to you, get rid of it. And he mentions, too, it's unfinished. And maybe finish it and then sell it. Maybe you'll get, like, that last experience out of it. Well, he says he's keeping the 62. Keep the Falcon. You get rid of the rest. Which, by the get. way, the Millennium Falcon was the, the best Millennium ship. The Millennium Falcon, it made in Star the Wars Kessel Run ever built. Whatever. Five parsecs. Five, five parsecs. Um, so anyways, we're nerds. But anyways, back to you. Thank you for listening in. I hope that helped you with your Q&A. But <clears throat> again, if you were the one that wrote this question and we did not answer it correctly, please write us back. Feel free to please subscribe. Please add us. Please comment us. Please topic us. Like us. Bring us in Love there. us. Make us Send part of your family. Feel free to DM us. With like your experiences with hospices, and, and when we say DM, or maybe not, maybe your hospice itself, direct message. Is I know, but we're not talking about dungeon master. Dungeon master. I mean, people might get confused with. If that. you have some good quality dungeon masters out there, Nick and I would like to know. Just make sure you roll your d twenty. That's it. Listen to us on any of your podcasting devices, or just show thoughts. up at the funeral home. We'll talk to you because we talk about death. Because if you're not talking about death, yeah, you ain't living.